Hello and welcome to Pocket Thoughts. Today is March 18th and we have a great episode planned for you guys. Brady won't be on today's show, so it'll just be Bobby, Joey, and I. The day we recorded this episode was the day that Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp were shut down for over six hours, so our first question is focused on that. Hypothetically, if those apps were shut down for a month, how would you go about marketing your business? Our second question is what do you think one major aspect of business an entrepreneur should have knowledge on when starting a business? We then dive into an educating entrepreneur's Related question and talk about how educating entrepreneurs differentiates from other courses in our personal opinion and where we see educating entrepreneurs in 10 years. Our third question we asked was, since we first started thinking about being an entrepreneur, how have our goals and motivation changed over time? And the final question for today's episode, we give our own definition of what an entrepreneur really is. Thank you everyone for listening. Stay up to date with everything educating entrepreneurs related on social media and do not be afraid to reach out. Enjoy the week. thoughts i'm brandon we got bobby we got joey hey no brady today uh he's off in a consulting engagement in a restricted area so and he can't bring his phone with him so he's without technology which is about a question that i have today Ooh. that was a smooth transition today is wednesday march 13th and instagram and facebook and whatsapp are all down and with those being down my question is, hypothetically, if they were to stay down for a month, how would you go about marketing your business and kind of getting that revenue that people get from those websites out to your customers and having your business keep going off of that? I honestly think the strategy would stay relatively the same. I think it'd still be content heavy, but the blogs and stuff of that nature would be weighted differently. I think a lot of your content, and I think pretty much all B2B companies, all their content would pretty much be hosted on their website. And without social media, I think there'd be more emphasis on SEO again. There'd probably be more emphasis on like backlinking and web mapping and stuff of that nature. So they can actually constantly build their rankings because you think about it, people are content heavy right now, but half of their content is going to 3 billion people that live on social. Actually, I've just convinced myself that that's wrong. I've thought for the last couple of years that LinkedIn is going to blow up as a social platform. And I think that's what would happen. I think LinkedIn would explode as a social platform because they just changed their algorithm to be more social. I think business-wise, B2B, a lot of their stuff is already on there. I think it would become more content-heavy in a sense where there'd be more videos, more pictures, more of that kind of stuff. I think LinkedIn would possibly change their marketing in a sense like they change their ad campaigns. So right now, so LinkedIn is an awesome place to run ads because you can make it insanely targeted. The problem is like LinkedIn has a ceiling 
because it's so expensive. So I think they would open it up more so that ceiling would be higher because something like Instagram and Facebook, you can still pump it out to so many people. Like any of your ads, you can just hit a huge demographic, but it's not as specific. And I think LinkedIn would make it more broad. It wouldn't be as specific, so more people would do it. More bang for their buck. So essentially smaller companies would actually get in on the action. And I also think you'd see Twitter explode because Twitter is still the place to be for B2B. A lot of business professionals, not our age, but like 35 to 55, they still all live on Twitter. I guess there'd be more weight on blogs, but I think Twitter and LinkedIn would become enormous. And YouTube. Oh yeah, I didn't even think about that. I was kind of thinking about Twitter as being the main one for me just because when I went on Twitter, like right away to check if Instagram was down, like I just went in their search bar and typed in Instagram. And that's how I found out that it was in fact down because I had no idea. I was like, okay, this could just be for me. And then you get all these posts and then you see people like verified people with a lot of followers that are like, I'm only on Twitter today because Instagram's not working. And I think that's like interesting that people choose that to be the first place to go get their content out. I didn't look too far and if they're posting the same stuff that they would post on uh, Instagram that they would on Twitter at the time but I guess it's just further proof that you need to diversify because at any point you know one of our major players could be shut down or the traffic could change or organic reach could disappear and at yeah. any moment like there could be another Instagram that pops up just another good reason to diversify I mean not that you need any more but because you think about the people that legitimately are just social influencers only on Instagram mm -hmm. can you imagine what they're thinking today they oh just, yeah like they have no connection with their crowd the whole day yeah people are like all Instagram models are essentially dead today because <laughs> like they have no they have nothing else to do that's yeah. all they live off of they make money off of that do you guys have any other strategies you would add you think i mean if it was only down for a couple days i mean i waited out for a couple days probably before i really switched up my uh, strategy i guess and i don't even know if i would switch it up that much it would just be slight tweaks theoretically or Hopefully, I'm already fairly diversified within the social media market. Hopefully, there would only be slight tweaks if Facebook was down for a month. I like your LinkedIn. I didn't LinkedIn and YouTube. I didn't think of those at all. I think it's just a matter of how you get those out to people. By, I mean, they'd actually have to go to your website and see all that stuff for videos. Because, and I guess go to Twitter too. But yeah, LinkedIn would be a big one. But I just think as far as like yeah, the influencers and stuff, you're not going to see them going on. LinkedIn anytime soon to promote themselves, but we yeah. never know. Do you want to ask your second question too? Sure. What do you think one major aspect of business an entrepreneur should have knowledge on when starting their business? Well, I'm extremely biased, but in my opinion, uh, just a background in, I would say specifically the accounting world is extremely important. If you understand the nuts and bolts of finances, then you can apply that to a lot of different scenarios and it helps you through other aspects of business, whether it relates to the marketing or if it relates to sales or whatever it may be. I think uh, that's a really good starting point to learn really the nitty gritty details and then you can broaden your horizons from there. Yeah, I definitely like that finance one. For sure. I, I think if we're just focused on major aspects of business, then I think finance is essential. I don't think finance is a bottleneck 
to like destroying a business only because I believe you can find someone that's good at finance like Joey to carry your business through. If I'm thinking about aspects, then yes, that's perfect. If I'm thinking of a bottleneck that could destroy your company, I would say patience and the ability to pivot. The first one, patience, is I think too many entrepreneurs or people that are starting things, they don't have the patience to actually grow it. I don't think they have the patience to fully try a concept. I don't think they have the patience to put in the work for the long haul. I think the biggest thing is I think a lot of startups actually play for the short term out of the gate and they don't work on any of their long term strategies. Therefore, when they're going out and they're trying to sell their product or their service, they're always working for that day's work. In a sense, like they're always doing cold calls, they're always sending emails, and no part of them or no part of the company is working on that long-term strategy that will ultimately fill the queue on its own. I work with a lot of startups, and I hear the same thing over and over. They're always like, we need to raise money right now because we need money to do more than just send emails all day and call people. Like the cold calls and cold emails, just it's so much work. And I was like, well, you're not, you're not divvying up any time for the long term. You should at least, I mean, I would say you should be divvying things up 50-50. Like that's how we do it at Gomahi. Patience-wise, we're patient enough to know that every single week when we make a weekly plan, we're going to put 50% on the long term, 50% on the short term. So like long term involves like blogs, the whole social media thing. Uh, actually designing the website in a way that it allows us to pivot over and over. And that's kind of how I get into the pivots. You have to have a company that you're willing to think of plan A, B, and C, and you didn't know when to execute plan A, B, and C. Because I think a lot of founders will sit there and focus on plan A for so long that they miss out on the opportunity to try B and C because it's too late. Or founders will sit there and they won't have the patience and they'll just try A, B, and C right out of the gate because they don't get enough traction with the first pivot and they don't have the patience to actually try it. So they quickly move on and then they run out of different opportunities. So like, I think having the opportunity and knowing when to pivot is essential and actually planning for a pivot is super necessary when being an entrepreneur. Yeah. And I think this kind of relates to something that I heard at work today, but we have a new CEO now. And what I was hearing one employee say that's been with the company for a while is that our old CEO would basically plan out and test so many things before getting down to the final answer of what he wanted to do for his next step. And he would, this would take months. And then by the time he had his final answer of what he wanted to do, so many things had changed and then it just wouldn't work out. And our new CEO, from what I'm being told, is a guy that is kind of just going to do it and see what happens. Just keep trying stuff and do it like that. And that's, I don't know, that just made me think of that kind of stuff because it's going to be different to see all these new tactics that we're going to get that are going to come in and see how both of those different things play out. And I think that's brilliant because I think that brings up another really important point. If you're going to be a startup and be successful, you have to be extremely agile. I mean, you just brought up Facebook being down. If you listen to Mark Zuckerberg, they currently have like over 10,000 forms of Facebook being run right now. They're A, B, C, D, E, F, G, testing to 10,000, all these different 
interfaces at this current moment. And it's because Facebook is so agile that the basically the culture within Facebook allows every employee to create new interfaces and test it and just put it out there. And so they're testing a million different things to see what works. And they're yeah. testing it continuously. So it also allows them to easily pivot very quickly because they have so much stuff tested that they know what to do next, mm -hmm. which is awesome. Now, I think as far as mine, when I was thinking about this question, I don't know if this necessarily goes along with knowledge, but I guess just the knowledge of knowing your audience and who you're trying to market to right away, instead of trying to figure that out on the just on the fly, because you can't just put out a product and be like, all right, mm -hmm. let's see who likes this. Let's give this a try. You're going to fail, and then obviously you're going to have to pivot. And I think knowing that ahead of time, you're going to set yourself up, and it kind of is a shameless plug for educating entrepreneurs with the uh, with the design sprint, because that's the part that really kind of stuck with me was the first part is, you know, doing all of these tests and things with people and seeing what people like, seeing how they respond to this, seeing how they respond to that, and getting information off of that and using that to your advantage. And I think that's a great idea, and if you don't do that, I mean, you're going to be a in a tough spot. Yeah, when you design, you need to design a customer-centric product or service. There's a lot of people that have a lot of good ideas in their head, and it might be a really good idea for you, but never design something for you. You need a design for others. You need a design for other people's pain points. You need to constantly change your product or service to fit what they need. And you need to constantly test. Agile, customer-centric. Agile, trial and error. And I guess a lot of finance is actually built into that as well. Because once you get to the later half of those tests, the finance piece actually, it allows you to figure out if something's feasible or viable. In our work, we do a lot of different kind of projections and we look at a lot of different scenarios for future earnings and whatnot. So it's, it's really interesting to just kind of see all the different scenarios that we put together and that people think about. I wish I was better at projections. Because if you were really good at it, it'd be really fun. So tell me this. I always feel like, because I only know projections from the side of you're a startup, you're coming up with projections for a VC or angel or whatever it is. But like, I still look at projections from a startup perspective as just pointless because they're just complete guesses. I agree 100%. I, I'm in the business. I work with private equity firms. So... We work with companies that have some type of historical financial history. So you're able to build off that. We don't we don't work with venture VCs or anything like that. So we we can't predict that kind of crap. I mean, no one can, I feel like. I mean, they, they, obviously people are better at it than others, but that's, that's very risky stuff. And that's why us as accountants stay away. <laughs> so your projections are insanely data-driven. Correct. And that's hard for any data like startup company. I mean, it's, it's based on trends and I feel like projections for startup companies are a lot of the time based off of, and I could be wrong here, but yeah, they're based on like what the company is going to look like in the future, but also like what that specific industry is going to look like in the future. And I feel like that's a big one for like startup companies and looking at projections. Yeah. Because <clears throat> you can find like the industry growth and everything like that. And that's how you can base your revenue growth. But Mm -hmm. deciding what your first year's revenue is, you're pretty much just saying like, I'm either a really motivated CEO founder that wants to go all in, 
mm-hmm. or I'm someone that doesn't have big dreams, or if I have dreams that are too big, I'm going to freak everyone out. <laughs> so you're pretty much stuck in this, just this weird space where you wish you could just look at everyone and say, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Getting everyone on the same page. Yeah. I, I hate projections. At least at such like an early stage. If I had yep. like 10 years of it, like revenue to analyze and where all that came from, by all means, A plus, I, I want to do that tomorrow. But <laughs> okay, so guys, I got a little question for you. Yeah, what's up? Yeah. What, what do you guys, and this is your personal opinion, what differentiates E, so educating entrepreneurs, if anyone didn't know what that stood for, from other courses, and where do you guys see educating entrepreneurs in 10 years from now, and it doesn't matter if you think it's some lame, if you think it's just lame, or you think it's awesome, or it's absurd, just realistically, what do you see it being? And what makes it different? I think educating entrepreneurs differs from others by having us kind of doing it as we're going as well. We're learning as we go. Bobby, you're in the early stages of starting businesses and everything. And you're kind of seeing firsthand what is going on and the things that you can maybe help others prevent and help them out. And I think that it does help to have that and also... I could see it from the other side as people say, well, oh, we have all this knowledge for a company that may be similar, but have people that with more experience. But I think just us as entrepreneurs right now, I think it's good for us that we can say we're going through this right now and here's how we can help. In the next 10 years, I think I can see colleges using this in their courses, potentially having them pick up on this stuff and kind of saying, hey, here is basically a case study of how these guys have done it. Here's some success stories as to who's gone through this. Cause that's what I hope that we have is success stories at the end of all this. Here's what you can do. Here were some struggles that they had. Here's how you prevent that. Yeah. I think just colleges using it early on and helping startups and hopefully get outside of colleges more and actually having someone big take it on and kind of be our spokesman. My opinion, EE, we uh, differentiate ourselves with our inexperience. Obviously, you have experience, Bobby. Most of us, well, at least half, 50% of us don't have as much. And I think that really plays to our advantage of combining that inexperience with experience. Because, I mean, the people that are inexperienced are exactly the ones that are going to be going through this course. So it's, it's, nice to know like when we're going through this what are we confused about what do we need more clarity on and what do we think we should hit harder and so i think having inexperienced people as part of your team is is extremely beneficial while mixing that with more of the uh seasoned vets if you will 10 years or just far down the road i could see and i would love to see ee be more community based I would love it for us to have like a like numerous like physical locations and have a space where I, I mean I brought this up before but I I still love like really like the idea of having just like an EE like coffee shop or something like that where people can come and work and then in the in the back we can have like uh, more intense areas of collaboration if yeah, you will. Yeah. 
yeah, just kind of the physical locations and building the community, whether that be in a physical area or online, I think would be really cool. So I'm going to agree with the whole inexperience side of things. I think all of you guys or all of our EE audience members, you might think that inexperience doesn't make sense in the startup world, but I can tell you from personal experience, I think it makes the most sense because all of us starting companies, the resources that we're able to receive, they're from people that have started billion dollar companies. All of us want to run a very large company. We all do. The thing is the tips that billionaires are teaching us are tips that we can apply to the beginning. They already are, they're thinking from a level of scale. They've already scaled the company. They've already hired thousands of employees. That's how they can apply. They're applying their lessons that they're giving us to their current life. It's hard for them to think about what it's like to be in our shoes. So when we design our first course, we're designing it from right here, right now. We're creating a roadmap for the startup. We're not skipping any of the things that appear to be simple. Like no one teaches people how to file with their state because it seems easy. No one talks about how to make sure you file properly with the IRS because, well, just none of the billion dollar companies, none of the billionaires remember that point. We're going through all the nitty gritty, how to make websites, how to do everything. So you legitimately have a roadmap from start to finish. And we're going to keep essentially allowing you to graduate through our courses. So it's going to be startup from start to finish. It's going to be mid-level company from start to finish. It's going to be large company from start to finish. And you're going to be able to follow a framework as you go through your entire career. So you would legitimately grow with us over the next 10 years. And that's what I think makes EE really unique. We're really unique because we're willing to innovate. We don't want to just be a course because we actually think learning in general is kind of broken right now. So we want to give everyone an opportunity how to learn differently. So like Joey was saying, like, we want to have physical spaces someday. We want to be the entrepreneurs that are speaking at your school, at your workplace. We want to be innovating. We want to create an investment program. We want to invest the money that you pay for our courses back into your startups. We want you to give us pitches. Essentially, we want to open innovation labs. We want to create accelerator programs. And we just want to be there for every entrepreneur, no matter where you are in your startup phase, whether you need money from us, whether you need knowledge, whether you need connections from our community, we are that entire package. And I think that's what's going to make us insanely unique because it's going to go beyond a course. I'm pretty excited about what EE brings to the table. I was thinking back to kind of when I started becoming an entrepreneur. Since you guys first started thinking about being an entrepreneur, how have your goals, your motivation, your thoughts, your feelings towards being an entrepreneur changed over time? I think my goals have changed a lot. I've said this multiple times. Before we were doing this, I don't know what I was doing with my life. I would come home from work and I think I honestly would just start playing video games or something. And now 
I come home and I'm like, all right, I got to get stuff done. I got to get ahead on stuff. I know sometimes I do not get ahead, but that's when I start to feel pretty pissed off at myself for coming home and not doing anything. I think it's just changed how I operate just on a day-to-day basis. I just feel like I'm more motivated in the morning to actually get up, go to work. I feel more confident at work just because talking during this stuff actually does help me when I'm at work talking to other people because I feel like I'm more confident in what I want to say and how I want to say it. And I think that getting up in front of people is going to be easier because getting ridiculed and laughed at by your closest friends is pretty helpful sometimes. And so I think even like when I go on break at work, I'm like, all right, I got to do stuff right now. I got to do some stuff for EE. I want to think about other things and like what my goals are and how I'm going to get farther in work. And I think if I wasn't doing this and starting to become an entrepreneur, I think I'd be very content with where I was at work and would kind of just be waiting for the next thing to pop up. Just quickly off that, and this is slightly unrelated to the question, but I agree with your point on how doing this podcast once a week has really helped me just articulate my thoughts a bit more. It's it's made me think about what I think about things and how to actually verbally put that in a sentence. I think it's been really helpful, like Brandon said, at work and uh, just in life. Yeah, just going off of that, like my, I don't know why, how this happens, but like, I just feel like I feel more motivated with just life in general. Like I do want to work out more and like push myself because you look back at old pictures and stuff and you're like, holy crap, you got to get it together. Then you work out with Bobster over here and you're like, all right, maybe I should start trying at some things sometime, be Bobby in basketball. And I think having that mindset pushes me not only in obviously working out in sports, but like in entrepreneurship and work, just trying to be ahead of that next person and take it to the highest level that I can. I think that's a really good point because I think people fail to realize that the successful entrepreneurs didn't just build a great company. They also personally created an insane culture within themselves. So like you're developing habits that not a lot of people develop because through entrepreneurship, through running a business, you have to be more responsible. You have to figure out how to actually manage your time better. But by managing your time better, you actually time block things because you don't have all the time in the world. But because you don't have all the time in the world, it actually forces you to get your stuff done because you feel like, well, you know, I need to work out now because I don't have all night to do it because I have to do EE stuff. And I need to do EE stuff tonight because I have to work tomorrow. To be a good entrepreneur and do it well, you have to really focus on being good at the whole package. You can't only be good at the business side. You have to be good, like real good at the life side. You have to figure out how to balance relationships. You need to figure out how to balance like your physical, mental health. And then you also need to figure out how to be darn good at the business side. Because if everything isn't balanced, I mean, it's not like an equal balance of time. But if it isn't in some type of balance that keeps you mentally sound and physically fit, you're screwed from the business end. Because you need that balance to make the right decisions and be your most productive self. Because if you don't have that balance, you can't take that pressure every single day. Because believe it or not, being an entrepreneur, it is stressful. When you're an entrepreneur, you no longer, when it really, when you actually grow a business to a decent size, you no longer have the opportunity to turn off your computer at work 
and drive home and not think about it for the rest of the night. You're switching that out because when you're an entrepreneur and you're running a company, you turn off your computer, you're thinking about it when you're driving home. You're probably turning that computer back on when you get home and then you're thinking about it when you brush your teeth and when you wake up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, you're stuck on a new concept that you want to add the next day. The best entrepreneurs in the world, it's a flaw, but it's also something that makes them insanely good at what they do. The best entrepreneurs in the world, any free moment they have in their life, they're thinking about their business because that's how obsessed they are with their business. But the best entrepreneurs in the world are also insanely good at figuring out how to balance life. They do a really good job of understanding, hey, I'm going down a rabbit hole right now and this is getting dangerous for everyone around me. That is something that I've learned in the last couple weeks that has actually been a game changer. And I talked about it last week. As an entrepreneur, you have to be really, I didn't realize how much you learned every day. Because every week I go through a week and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just added this and this is going to be a game changer for my life. How was I not doing this the whole previous 10 years of entrepreneurship and running companies? How did I never know this? The last two weeks, this new balance that I have in my life, I don't understand how I wasn't doing it my whole life because I'm so much more productive. Like having a task sheet that I actually follow, it relieves so much stress because I know I just have to get those done over two weeks. And if I get them done, I'm in a good place and I can just work on these side projects if I have them all done. And if I don't have them all done, I don't have time for my side projects. And it creates this level of, oh, oh my gosh, I actually have time for other things. Doing the little things, like last week, Brandon and I worked together Friday night we kind of worked together and we kind of talked. I knew I had busy work and I knew there was no better time to catch up with a good friend than while working on that busy work and then actually productively going to the gym after. Because as much as we like to do a lot of the other fun stuff, like we could have gone bowling, we could have just hung out and watched TV. I felt really productive still after that night. And it felt really good. And I still got to catch up with a buddy. I think entrepreneurship, it is a lifestyle. And I did not realize how much of a lifestyle it is. And if you do it really well, I believe you honestly fall in the 99 percentile in every part of your life. I think the ultra successful, are, a large majority of them are very fit. Like I think a large majority of them are very good with their personal finances. I think they're very good at managing time. I think they're very good at relationships. It's something that you have to apply to every part of your life. And it's also very dangerous. So you have to be very aware of your surroundings and how you're treating others and how you're living life because you could ultimately collapse someday because it just becomes too hard because you're not taking care of yourself. I didn't know any of that. And I actually probably didn't know half of that two weeks ago or I didn't apply it two weeks ago. I think just learning every day will allow you to actually be an entrepreneur quote-unquote entrepreneur? Right away when I started, I guess, being an entrepreneur, um, it was back in high school. It was more of just like, I need a summer gig. I need something to do in the summer to make some money. That's kind of all it was. And it was like, well, we're guys that are semi-physically fit. Um, Bobby was obviously more fit than I was back <laughs> in the day. Um, and, oh, still, and, still, and still is, and still is. No, I don't think I, I was. No. Remember, remember, I was the guy that stood outside one of our commercial buildings and an employee came out and I was the only guy in the crew that had his shirt on and he said, oh, fat kid doesn't take his shirt off? 
Where was this? I don't remember this. It was over at uh, the Nor Norax building. But anyways, back to the original uh, spiel here. So originally it was just monetarily driven, motivated, I would say, back when I was in eighth, ninth grade. Something, something to do in the summer where I could be outside and I could make money and and I didn't have to be inside in a grocery store being a cashier or anything like that. <laughs> not, not that that's bad or anything. It's just different, uh, different way of life, I guess. And I, I guess some people are better at spreading mulch than others and uh, I get called out for it every now and then. But as we kind of evolved and developed um, this business, while it was still monetarily motivating it was still it was it also became more relationship based um with who we were working with and the type of stuff and and like actually taking pride in our work because we have relationships with these people and, I, and that became really important and it's actually evolved all the way to i don't even give a shit about money anymore it's like i just want to do something where something that i care about and that I have the skills or the time or just whatever to make a difference in someone's life, whether that be bringing some technical skills to something that someone doesn't have, or it's just giving my time to, to someone that needs it. And I think it honestly has just changed my perspective on it so much, whereas just finding what I, what I love and what I really want to do, and I haven't found it yet, but... It's got me on a better path. How do you guys both personally define an entrepreneur? Because I don't know the actual definition, and I don't think there is an actual definition, but I'm curious how you personally see an entrepreneur. It's just been always the way I've always thought about it. It's just someone that has started their own business and continues to grow that business and comes up with an idea that changes an industry or some kind of business and shakes it up so crazy that they become successful. Mine's a pretty simple definition and it's just someone who thinks differently can make something of that, I guess. I think that's kind of what defines an entrepreneur. Do they have to think differently and build a company or they just have to think differently or? Just have to think differently. I don't think they have to build a company. I think you can be an entrepreneur by, I guess you have to take some type of action, but it doesn't necessarily have to be building a business. Interesting. I haven't thought about it in that way before. Does it have to be in the business realm at all? No, I don't think so. I personally believe an entrepreneur is someone that builds something for the long term. Somebody that builds something of value that goes beyond themselves. I believe any person that just starts a company to start a company just to make money to pay their salary, I still see them as an employee. Because even if you start a company and you're just working for yourself to build a company that pays your bills, there's really not a lot of difference in my mind between that person and someone that just works for a boss. I see an entrepreneur being someone that actually builds a company that provides value outside of them, pays for people, essentially provides for people within that organization outside of them. They're creating a structure that goes beyond them in the sense where they can disappear and it can still live without them. And I believe an entrepreneur, like I said earlier, essentially is constantly learning, constantly changing, and constantly innovating. I'm curious what the real definition is. 
I think that's what, what you said is interesting because it's, it's definitely not like a textbook definition. It's definitely your opinion definition. Definitely. Uh, oh, and, and that's what we wanted to hear, it, but it's, it's just like actually making a difference rather than starting a business, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's pretty cool. So the Merriam-Webster definition is one who organizes, manages, and assumes the risks of a business or enterprise. Assumes the risks. So takes the responsibility. That comes with any job of taking responsibility, but... But that's not necessarily like, are you taking... If if you're an employee of a company, are you taking on the risk of no, the business? No, it's like very vague. Oh, yeah. Like, Definitely. I, the entrepreneurs take way, like, oh, like 100%, they take way more risks. It's just like... This definition is way too vague. <laughs> I, yeah, I agree. I feel <laughs> yeah. like people have been trying to define entrepreneurship for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they'll ever be able to find it. So here's another one. A person who organizes and operates a business or businesses taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. It's a little closer. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I think the big thing is just like we said before, is risk. You have to take a risk or else, I mean, you're not going to go into it and be like, oh, everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Work out. The risks are real, no matter how small or big your company is. I always feel like, and we had this conversation, I had this conversation with someone this week. They're running a very small startup and they're like, you just don't know what it feels like to run a startup. Like a small one where you're strapped for cash. And I was like, you know, the truth is, if you're a real entrepreneur, anything in your 20s, 30s, 40s, I feel like you're always essentially pushing the envelope. Like no matter what the scale is, you seem to always be pushing yourself to your limit. And I was like, I get it. Like you're a very small startup and maybe we own a little real estate or this or that, but I'm just as strapped as you. It's just a different scale. Our front space right now, I told Brandon last week, they haven't paid rent. If they have to move out, we have to do a build out. 50,000 bucks, roofs leaking, however much to redo a roof, problems with an apartment, problems with the other building, all that happens at once, you know, like you're, I'm strapped just like anyone else, like I'm in trouble, it's just a different scale, so I think no matter what level of entrepreneur, you're always on the cusp of failing, because you're always pushing yourself to that limit. And yes, there's always a point where an entrepreneur looks at what they've done and they go, okay, I can take a step back and I don't need to take as much risk and I can start filling the bank account. Even companies that are billion dollar companies, their CEOs, some of them, if it's still in quote startup phase, they can be a billion dollar company and that CEO could have very little money because they could be pumping it all back into the business. Yeah. And there's that risk of kind of what you touched on is that one small thing going wrong. Yeah. That company that's going out of business in your building, they are responsible for paying that, but only to a certain point where now you have to find someone else to fill that space, which was helping pay for the building, and it's just putting you in a further back position until Mm -hmm. you get money from those people. I'm surprised. I think that whole risk scenario in the definition, I think that's a big, enormous part of it Yeah, that I didn't really think about. That kind of defines an employee versus an entrepreneur or even like an upper manager versus an entrepreneur. Because like even if you mess up as a manager, like the company still assumes the risk. They still are in charge of fixing it. Yeah, you might get fired. But for the most part, 
if the company is actually innovative and agile and wants that within their company, like they still have to take the hit, you know, and your paycheck is still signed. Okay. So a weekly wrap, my weekly wrap, we recently had an employee quit. So I'm assuming his responsibilities now. So I'm going to be getting more work, which I'm happy about. It'll fill my day a little bit more. I, Experienced it a little, a little bit this morning with uh, taking over his stuff while he was out of the office for a little bit. So I'm kind of excited for that, just to get on a new customer and learn more about that. And I also, with my account management deal that I'm going on with, um, we have to put together a presentation on our competition within our company, or outside of our company, I guess, and do a report on them and why our company could outbid them in the future with a bid or whatever it may be to get their business. Um, so I'm excited for that to learn about a new company and just to see how we differentiate from others and to also give a report in front of people because I think, I don't know how many people are going to be in the room, but it's going to be a good experience. It's not something I'm necessarily graded on. It'll just be good practice for future things when I were to, or if I were to get up in front of a customer and be prepared and know what I would need to work on in the future. So I'm excited for that to kind of work on that for the next month because I think that's when we're going to start doing those presentations and get going on that. I haven't slept a lot in the past week, so it hasn't been ideal. Why? It's been working. <laughs> Randomly a busy time. I don't know, just past two weeks. A lot of deadlines that have been moved up unfortunately. So a lot of different jobs have hit at the same time, which means more late nights. So that's really been my life for the past week. So when you get like really insanely busy and you have to do all this work outside of the office and it consumes your whole life, mm -hmm. you don't get paid anymore, do you? No, I'm on salary. So why do I do it? Yeah. Like, I'm just curious, like, I understand that you want to please the customer and you like your job. Mm -hmm. But I'm just kind of curious, is everyone within the company when they feel a deadline? Are they just going home and working late? Or are a lot of people on salary just like, eh, like, I mean. I don't think people like really, it's not really about like, I mean, everyone's salary in the company. Yeah. Uh, besides for like interns. It's more about your work ethic, I feel like. Some people definitely don't work a lot. And uh, I mean, people notice you have to put in your time and things like that. So people know how much you're working. And uh, they see you working and they know that you're working on their jobs. And I mean, why I do it, I mean, around this time of year, we're busy. Yeah, I work quite a bit. But summers, uh, they're a lot, it's a lot better. And during in, in Minnesota, summers are ideal to have a little more freedom. A little more flexibility there. Uh, while it was uh, winter here, it's pretty uh, shitty. So I don't want to be outside anyways. So it's not the worst thing in the world. Um, but also it's just being in this environment, it's so fast paced that I'm learning so much and I'm learning how to adapt and, um, and, and adjust and pivot so quickly. I'm like exponentially learning, I feel like right now with, with what I'm doing because so many things are getting thrown at you. I mean, it's a great learning experience, not only in a, in a technical manner, but also in a time management manner um, because of all the work that's thrown at you with the deadlines. Because of what I'm learning right now, I'm, I'm good with it. I mean, I'm making a, like a 
an amount where I can live off of and still have fun every now and then and, and enjoy my summers. And I love the people that I work with too. That's awesome. I was just always curious because I think about people that end up bringing a lot of work home. And I sometimes wonder if they ever decide to actually do the math on like the amount of hours they work versus their pay and see if it actually matches up with what's in their head. And then you know, but I mean, I believe it's different when you're like early stages or you love what you're doing or whatever else. And it's like an end game goal. But I look at people that are like 50 putting in 80 hour, 90 hour weeks every once in a while. And they're like, it's seriously, I get paid salary 50 grand and it's cool. And, and then I was like, yeah, but have you ever actually done the math on the amount of hours you put in a year? And they do the math and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm making like like eight bucks an hour. You just need to think that stuff through. My update, I actually have a lot of, uh, a big update really quick. So main company, gomahi.com, we launched our demo site. In the last seven days, we created uh, challenges for Minnesota Twins, Minnesota Wild, Minnesota Timberwolves, the Saints, UST Admissions, Surly Brewing, Can Can Wonderland, Chino Latino, and a couple of other companies. So that's exciting for us. A side project, you know, the whole real estate game. We got a co-working space that we own and it's kind of actually been exploding in the last two weeks, which is great for us. We have had a lot of balls in the air. We're talking to a company called I can't give away the name. They want to start a new franchise. We're trying to figure out how to make a space for them, essentially, whether that's us buying another building next door or turning the front into it. At the same time, you know, I'm, I'm going out of town in a week. So trying to juggle that while also we had a law firm come in and say, hey, we want to join the co-working space and we want an office in two weeks. Like, well, we don't have any offices. They're all rented. So they're like, well, give us an office or we're walking away. So my weekend will be spending 24 hours a day building an office. So it's ready for them on Monday. And we'll have to start late Friday night because, well, that's the only time people aren't in here. A lot of things going on, which is awesome. And to actually end it with the old EE update, Good news, everyone. We're actually making progress again. Brady and I talked extensively because if you guys listened to last week's podcast, you actually heard us kind of talk about our biggest fears with each other. And that forced Brady and I to kind of talk through my biggest fear with him. And what my fear was is he doesn't have the bandwidth. And it keeps me, it kind of dampens my ability to keep pushing forward. So we actually came up with a new structured process where I can keep data dumping and fill a huge queue of information for all of you guys. And when Brady has time, he'll just keep pumping out lessons. So he loves writing a whole lot more than actually like gathering the information and understanding the knowledge. And so, and he's a great writer. So it's going to be great because we actually were able to work together this week in a way that was more effective and more efficient. And I think we'll have a lot of lessons come to you in the very near future. So that's it from the EE side and the personal updates from all of us. And then Brando, you know, like always, you guys are always looking forward to his opening closings. And trust me, you guys just got to remember, this is podcast number one for us. Like 
This is the first podcast we've ever done. When we're getting into like season 12, year year 12, Brandon's openings and closings are going to be killer. He's going to be smiling. He's going to be happy. You're not going to fall asleep. So just, just think about it. When you're listening in year 12, come back to this episode and listen to the difference. All right. I smile during our intros. I'm just very tired during our... Uh... Or no, I smile during our closings. I'm just very tired during our intros sometimes. But that started off excited. That's that's something I got to change, and I'm working on it. But hey, everyone, thank you so much for listening. We love having you guys listen. We want your opinions, though. You guys got to connect with us. We want to hear from you. You know, send us some questions, things that you guys are struggling with, things that you guys want help with want to know more about we'll try to answer all your questions for you so this week i promise i'm going to throw out an instagram post this is episode 16 i believe maybe this is 17 so for episode 18 we want your questions we want you guys to send us questions in so we can answer them for you connect with us on facebook to do that comment on our posts that we're going to be having on instagram twitter LinkedIn, all those stuff. Where can they find that? Uh, by searching Educating Entrepreneurs. You can go to educatingentrepreneurs.com. Uh, it should be pretty accessible from there, I hope. For everyone that's been listening since the beginning, thank you and love your patience with all of this. Goodbye. Have a good week. And we will see you next week.